Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Geek Warning from the Escape Collective. I'm James Huang. I'm sitting here in the Boulder Gruppetto Workshop here in Boulder, Colorado, next to pro mechanic Zach Edwards. Hi, Zach. Hello. Also with us today is Escape Collective tech editor and mega tool geek Dave Rome from Sydney, Australia. Hi, Dave. Hello. Uh, Ronan will be off the pod for a few weeks here because he is on paternity leave. So congratulations, Ronan and Rachel. Woohoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave, you're looking a little more alive this week than last week. I'm feeling it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, being able to breathe is is nice. Huh? It's 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 a nice luxury, huh? You don't really appreciate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It. You don't really yeah, appreciate it until absolutely. you can't do it very well. Yep. Uh, Zach, I'm kind of curious. I know you must get some strange requests from people every now and then. What is the weirdest thing to have come into the shop in the last week? The weirdest thing? I don't even know. I mean, I've got an e-bike. That's pretty odd for mm. me. Well, or maybe that Nishiki up there. Oh yeah. That's definitely not in keeping with the rest of the no, world here. That's a, a whatever building neighbor. So just helping out. Getting getting it done. Uh, well, we've got a, a few new interesting bikes to talk about today. We've got a, a pretty exciting new mechanical group set from the folks at MicroShift. Uh, we've got a kind of a surprising mashup of power meter and Apple technologies to talk about. Uh, and if you spend any time looking at bike stuff on YouTube, you've probably seen this tire blow off video that we'll talk about today too. Uh, and of course, we'll find out what's on what's been on everyone's minds this past week and wrap up with our weekly public public service announcement. So, uh, well, let's uh, let's go ahead and dive into the news, shall we? Uh, we got a sneak peek at Santa Cruz's revamped Stigmata gravel bike back in June. Uh, that was when Keegan Swenson won the pro category of the pro men's category of the Unbound Gravel 200. Uh, we could tell a few things from the images that we had, but now we've got actual, like, real official information straight from the horse's mouth. Uh, Dave, you wrote this article on EscapeCollective.com. Mm. Go ahead and take it away. What are we looking at? Yeah, basically, Santa Cruz, uh, a iconic mountain bike company, they've now created a gravel bike that kind of fits with their brand. So previously, the Stigmata was very cyclocross-like in in its geometry and I guess in its initial purpose, and that bike slowly became a gravel bike, uh, but it always felt a little bit generic. It was very sort of road-ish geometry, uh, road-ish angles, not a lot of mountain bike-like inspiration, and that changes for this uh, fourth generation. So uh, yeah, there's there's no way around it. There's... uh, very much a mountain bike, progressive mountain bike geometry in the Stigmata now. So some that might not be to some people's favor, but uh, yeah, they've basically added uh, 30 millimeters of reach to each frame size, and they've slackened the head angle by uh, approximately two degrees. So you're now looking at a 69 and a half degree head angle. You're looking at, uh, and you're looking at reach figures that uh, are, are intended to then run a, a 70 mil stem width. So it's a lot of stuff that we've we've seen before. I'm not going to say that Santa Cruz is the first to do this mountain bike inspired geometry, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's certainly now uh, looking like a Santa Cruz. Uh, what about tire clearance? Any any increase there? A little bump, yeah. So it's uh, they've managed to squeeze in. So firstly, they've they've ditched any compatibility with uh, 650B wheels, which I'm happy to see. It's now all in on 700C. Uh, and as a result, they've like lowered the bottom bracket for that. Uh, but yeah, they've they've bumped it up by five mil, so there's now room for up to a fifty mil millimeter tire um, with with room to spare. Um, there's still fender compatibility. There's still uh, you can still run one by or two by. You can still run mechanical gearing, uh, and the cables. The cables are external of the headset, James. Yay! Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not surprised to see that at all because. 
Santa Cruz has made their position on headset cable routing very, very clear, I think, uh, certainly on some social media posts. They are, uh, they're not a fan. Um, mm. Certainly, oh, yeah. they, 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 don't, they, quite, they make fun of them quite a bit. They, they do, actually, as, as mm. Santa Cruz is apt to do, I think, sometimes. Um, yeah. And I think, I, well, obviously, I think anyone who listens to this show regularly uh, will certainly agree that I don't see any benefit to headset cable riding on mountain bikes. Mm. Um, what I do see benefit of is, uh, is, 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 it, is Santa Cruz calling it the lunchbox? Is that the, the storage tube? The, the, glove, the down tube glove storage box. tube? Glove box. Yeah. Sorry. That was close. Yeah, lunchbox, I think. <laughs> Someone else uses the lunchbox. <laughs> yeah, down tube storage. Yes. yes, down tube storage. So as a result, the frame is a little bit heavier than it was before. But I don't think most people who are going to be getting one of these things will mind that much. Mm. Have you seen a quoted frame weight? Santa Cruz couldn't supply me one in time for the for the release. Uh, I don't know what the frame actually weighs. I'm just. Uh, I we can assume I, it's heavier, but I think someone actually mentioned it in the comment section of our of that article. Uh, mm, I want okay. to say it's. Maybe less than a hundred grams heavier than it was before. I want to say it's like maybe like twelve or thirteen hundred or so. Yeah. Okay. So it's not su- definitely not super light, um, mm. but light enough, I think. Um, yeah. The other thing worth mentioning is um, it's now suspension corrected that geometry. So yes. they've designed it. Uh, most of their bikes and their frame set does come with a rigid fork, but they have designed it around uh, to be able to fit one of the the many 40 millimeter travel suspension forks that have hit the market in recent time. So yeah, they're really aiming for it to be sort of a, a versatile build. Uh, so yeah, so it's probably worth mentioning that there's not a lot of mounts in this bike. Uh, Santa Cruz have traditionally kept it pretty clean and this one doesn't stray too far from that, but it kind of goes against, uh, current trends of brands trying to outdo each other with the amount of, uh, threaded inserts and riv nuts on their frames. Um, so yeah, I I actually had previously heard from Santa Cruz on this matter that they that they do this because it's not the weight of the riv nut, but it's the weight of having to reinforce the the carbon layup around the riv nut to to ensure um you know problem free running. So they they do it because you actually get quite a lot of um added weight by having to do those reinforcements wherever you put them. It just seems really odd though, like seems to me like this bike is kind of targeted towards the more adventure side of gravel riding than less of like the pure dedicated race bike. So it seems like why would you not have additional mounts? Like the person that's putting a suspension fork on their gravel bike doesn't care about their bike weighing 100 more grams because it has a bunch of extra bolts on it. That's true. But the impression that I get is uh, Santa Cruz, I think, is probably... Like a lot of mountain bike companies who are who have who are into gravel now, uh, Santa Cruz I think is going after customers of their current mountain bikes. I think, and my impression is that they intend for this gravel bike to be sort of like a almost like an XC light sort of thing for for people who ride Santa Cruz mountain bikes. So it, it's a way. The impression that I get is that it's a way for people to have a lot more fun on trails that would otherwise be pretty boring on a cross country bike. And I guess in that sense, I, I can see why they would put a suspension fork on some of them, but not a bunch of mounts because my guess is that they are still expecting that customers for this thing are still going to want to just go fast on stuff, just maybe not traditional gravel roads all the time. Yeah. I also, I also am not, I kind of actually really like the lack of mounts because for most of my riding, I don't use bags other than like maybe a small handlebar bag. 
And uh, like I own my own gravel bikes, a fifty-one Assassin, which has a huge number of mounts that I will I will not use, um, and it's kind of ugly as a result of that. Uh, I actually quite like the the cleanliness that Santa Cruz has achieved by not putting them on there. And for me, when I think about the bags that I use, the bags I use don't require mounts; they're all strap-on style, like you know the frame bag and handlebar bag and a seat mm-hmm. bag. Um, Perhaps the only obvious mount missing is top tube bag, but I don't like those, so that doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I can't. I gotta say, I'm not I'm not generally a huge fan of those either. Um, I think it's worth mentioning to you though that um, it may lack some mounts, but the the aftermarket options for uh, attaching bags and stuff on bikes that don't have mounts is actually really really good. I guess you know, yeah. looking at a brand like Old Man Mountain in particular, um, they have a bunch of through axle based stuff. Um, mm-hmm. to attach like, racks front and rear and um, that are quite burly and don't require threaded fittings on the frame. And then they're also working on a setup that uh, allows you to have anything mounts on the fork if you don't have them. Um, and that's mm-hmm. also axle-based. So in that sense, it lets you have a clean setup when you're not running bags and it lets you run a setup that can actually hold a fair bit of weight because all the the, the load is borne by the axle and not by the fork blades. Yeah, so... Anyway, it's not a not a deal breaker for me. It might be for some, but yeah, I, I kind of like that Santa Cruz hasn't just done what everyone else is doing here. Agreed. Well, I mean, I think it's a good way to go because like you said, Dave, I mean, the Stigmata, while I think it was always a perfectly good gravel bike, there was never really a super compelling reason to get one of those compared to something mm-hmm. else. I think that like, I really like the old one. Which and old like, one? The old Stigmata. With there were several of them. <laughs> well, the the last previous one, like you could use it as a cross bike, you could use it as a gravel bike. It had light, like fast, good. It's the same reason people buy a Crux, and the Crux is insanely popular. And I feel like now I understand, like coming from a mountain bike background, but they're yeah, like the bike that wasn't a mountain bike gravel bike thing already existed, and people already knew about it. So it mm. it just feels a bit off to me. Yeah, I think I think you. Part of this is probably also um, global brand strategy, perhaps, as far as you look at Santa Cruz, it's own, it's part of the Pond Group. Right. They've also got Cannondale. They've also got Cervelo. So to have a gravel bike that overlaps with like a Cervelo Aspero and a, a Cannondale, was it Super 6? Yeah. Evo? CXSE? Yes, there's a lot of Whatever they call it. I don't know why they called their gravel bike a Super Six, but anyway, that's uh, like that to me. It makes sense that Santa Cruz would push their gravel bike more into a, a slightly different space than having them all overlap like that. So, even if it for for you, for example, and and for me, like I, I agree, the I don't know if the full mountain bikey geometry is where I want my own gravel bike to be. Um, it still makes sense for them. Yeah, like it just seems like it's a smaller market of people that would want a mountain bikey geometry gravel bike it, it like is just a proper gravel bike it is probably a smaller market but maybe it makes more sense to differentiate themselves to potentially have a larger share of that small of that smaller right. market or something yeah. so anyway it's like anyway. the old one was i just got a new gravel bike not like the season and the old one was very much on the like top three of the list and now this one is not at all so that's just, I don't know. I saw it and I was like, ooh, new bike, and disappointed. Wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's okay. I mean, I guess, Dave, as you mentioned, I guess the nice thing about 
uh, gravel bikes in general is that there's a whole bunch of different gravel bikes that are out there right now. And mm-hmm. Santa Cruz has clearly made the decision on this one. And my guess is that they're probably okay with it. Yep. Yep. So hmm. anyway, well, uh, I do have a request for a test Sigmata. Uh, so uh, that hopefully should be coming in sometime in the near future. And then we'll see how this thing is because uh, I'll actually be able to compare it to the previous generation Stigmata because I had one of those before. So uh, anyway, we'll see how this thing goes. Um, another new bike in the news is uh, the redesigned Alpha Road Bike from Arkansas-based manufacturer Allied Cycle Works. Um, this one's kind of interesting. It retains the more kind of the classic silhouette of the original. Uh, it's got like a barely sloping top tube. The seat stays aren't dropped at all. Um, but now Allied has added some aero shaping throughout. That's they, you know, they say it's supposedly good for 46 seconds over 40K. Woohoo. Uh, while apparently retaining... Uh, Apparently, it still rides really well. Uh, handles supposedly just like the old one. Uh, they did get rid of the plus sizes that they had before with the taller head tube. That's a little bit interesting. Uh, it's also a little bit lighter than before. It's claimed weight of 820 grams for a 56 centimeter frame as compared to almost eight, nine, uh, almost 900 before. So it's kind of what you'd expect. Uh, not at all surprisingly, it also gets fully internal cable routing. Uh, unfortunately, probably, it's also courtesy of the same developed in-house proprietary stem that Allied first used on the Echo convertible road slash gravel bike. Uh, I know, Zach, you are a huge fan of this system. Uh, t- the tire clearance actually isn't as big as I thought it would be. Uh, I think the old one was officially approved for, I want to say it was either 28 or 30. Uh, and this one officially only clears a 32, which is a bit surprising considering that a lot of other top-end road racing bikes now can clear like a 35. Um so, but anyway, this is very, very much a road bike only. It's not really meant to be like a, you know, light gravel-ish, all-roady sort of thing. Um, but otherwise, we've got like things like an English threaded bottom bracket. There's a, you know, matching aero carbon seat post. Um, with that new routing system, Al- uh, Allied is saying that the Alpha is compatible with, quote, current electric one-by and two-by drivetrain options from Shimano and SRAM, unquote which I read as no wired setups or Campagnolo. Uh, and unlike on the Echo, there is no option anymore for partially external routing. Uh, at least you do have a bunch of sizes, a whole bunch of colors. It's not inexpensive. Uh, it's all molded in Arkansas, so it, it's pretty expensive for sure. Uh, $5,400 for the frame fork headset, stem, and seat post. That's US dollars. Complete bike starting at $8,225 with SRAM Rival Axis. Uh, thoughts on this one? $8,000 Rival bike? Yes. Oh mm. yeah, That's uh, Zach. I'm I'm keen to get your thoughts on uh, on the cable routing of this one because you've if well, it's the same stem, if it's the same system. L- let me let me first give <laughs> listeners a little bit of detail as far as how the routing on this thing works. Mm. So, you, I guess James, have you had to build one of these? No, okay. I have not. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the way this thing works, uh, I would say the. Well, let me back up a little bit. The way a lot of other modern internally routed or hidden routing uh, hidden bikes with hidden routing work now, uh, you have brake hoses or or wires or whatever that either go through the barn stem, which is becoming a little bit less common, or you have setups where everything is sort of tucked away on the underside of the stem, and then it kind of goes in through like a custom headset cap, and it goes uh, through the upper headset bearing, and then kind of just feeds into the frame. For this setup, uh, Allied, uh, the brake hoses go through the inside of the bar. They pop out of a port on the back of the center of the bar. And then it runs along a little shallow channel on the top of the stem. Uh, 
and then dives directly down into the middle of the steerer tube right through the top. And then the front brake hose goes all the way down, pops out of the, the fork blade. Rear brake hose pops out of a little hole that uh, in the, the steerer tube. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the whole thing is concealed with this aluminum cover plate that doubles as the handlebar clamp. Um, so when it's all said and done, it, it looks okay. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's clean looking. For yes. Sure. Yes. Uh, there are definitely some downsides, uh, which Zach, I believe you might have experience I mean, with. I've, I've definitely ranted about this before. I, I don't know, last year or something. When the Echo was introduced, I think. Yeah. Or, I don't, yeah. Regardless. I just like, to me, it doesn't, it looks very clean, but it seems like it's something that looked really well designed and executed on a computer. And then it went into production and they just stuck with it rather than trial and erroring it like in real life to see if it actually functioned well. Um, the, yeah, if that makes sense. But basically, yeah, like James said, the brake hoses both go through the steer tube and then into the top of the stem thing. And which none of, and then it goes into the handlebar and none of it's remotely secure because it's all held in by this top cap. So you, when you're working on things, it just all flops about, um, which is quite frustrating. And then to adjust the headset, it's like this really, I think it's a 32 mil, like flat, thin hex wrench thing that. Oh, like external. Yeah. Like kind of like an old threaded headset. Yes. Or like a pro stem. Pro yes, DX exactly. Stem yeah, from exactly. Recent time. Yeah. yeah. So the problem with that is like, it looks all really great and the stem is painted and it's lovely. And then the gap, like the tool doesn't really fit in there unless you leave it quite threaded out. So people like go to adjust their headset and then it chips the paint. And then the sim looks awful. And it's just, it's not a very user-friendly design in terms of like, oh, I've been riding this bike a while. I want to drop the stem five mil. Mm-hmm. It has to completely come apart because the brake hoses go through the steer tube rather than run in front of the steer tube and then pop out through the bearing. So like most bikes, even whether they're massive pain, like you can still, without disassembling the entire bike, cut the steer down a little bit. And this bike, you can't do that. Well, the other thing that's a little bit quirky about this thing is... um Although Allied does have a setup to allow you to run spacers on top of the stem kind of temporarily, uh, the stem is designed such that you can't, it's not really meant to run a, a longer steer tube. So uh, if you're experimenting with your position, you've got to run this sort of separate kit that they have to let you run spacers on top of the stem for a little while. Um, if, say, something happens and you want to raise your position or, I don't know, you have like an issue with your neck or your back or whatever, uh, you're just stuck. You're, you're, and like you're a lot stuck. of companies too, like they'll include a cap or cover for the back of the stem that lets you run it all flush and super arrow and clean. But then they also include another cap that goes over it and lets you run spacers on top to have that flexibility. And this, yeah, it just, I don't know. It just seems like the worst of all worlds. Like you can't change stem length. It, you can't. It's not the most elegant system. up and down. It's just, I don't know. It's not very user-friendly. Like if you know 100% your position and are like very confident from when you build it, that that's where it's always forever going to stay, then I think mm. it's fine. But if you like to play with your position or you bought a bike and you, I don't know, like you said, decided you want to lower the stem or something, then it's just not very fun. Is there any sign of them having changed that design? No, it's all the same. Okay. No, all it's right. all the same. And, and there's actually an FAQ on their webpage for this bike that uh, that calls out very clearly that it's not compatible with anything else. Yeah. Um, so that that's a bummer for sure. Um because I will say that as much as I am not a huge fan of uh, routing that goes through the headset, as I've made very plainly clear, um, 
yeah, Zach, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of with you. This one is... But there are good ways to do it fully hidden cables and bad ways to do it. And this is what I would say is a bad way. It's, it definitely seems more complicated than it really needs to be, for sure. Yeah. Mm. Um, but it, the thing with the routing, though, really bums me out because otherwise the frame actually looks it's super really clean. nice. Like, it's really mm. pretty. Yep. Yep. Fully American-made and all that's always good as well. Like, yeah, it's pretty rare these days, so... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It for me, like it, it is a beautiful looking bike. I just knowing I would, Zach's frustrations building them, I I just don't know if I'd ever get one. Yeah, I'd like you to build one or have a pre existing one and like try and take it apart and put it back together and well, let me know yeah. what you think. Yeah, yeah. and I've, I've actually I've, never seen one in person. So, um, an ally of any yeah. kind, I think. I think I've seen them at trade shows, but uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen one in Australia. I know so they I, are here, yeah, but yeah. I will say that one one of the things that manufacturers tout about headset cable routing is that the bikes are easier to assemble at the factory because you feed the hoses through and they just pop out of the head tube and then you can kind of run everything from there. Um, having built frames from bikes from the frame up, uh, yes, I agree that that is a plus from an initial assembly standpoint. But is it like that but, much easier? Though, like rather than putting it through the whole two inches below the headset bearing hole no it's not that much easier i'm I'm not i'm not saying it's a good idea zach (laughs) just to be clear but anyway my point being uh, that when you have a setup like this now where you have to take that rear brake hose and now find the little hole in the back of the steering tube and then feed it up that but you have to do it too as like so that part is really fun because the fork has to be pulled below like out of the fork right so you have to have the brake hose going out the lower headset bearing make a really bad bend through the steer tube and out the top of that, and then you like shove it all together and hope the brake hose didn't get a kink in it. Could be better. Love it. Yeah, it's great. Well, maybe in America. (laughs) (laughs) There's an increasing number of systems on the market that'll that'll follow a similar design idea. Um, I think the cable paths might be a bit smoother, but I've seen some that are coming. Um, that use slotted steerers and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Can't um, wait. Yep. That that run a similar concept, which does solve for the idea of the whole our, our issue of uh, brake hoses rubbing against the outside of the steerer, and it lets them use a contained, like an actual circular yeah. steer tube rather than having this like funky shape that is yeah. then not yeah. manufactured well. Yep. And it contains the hoses, so you know exactly where they're going. You can control the friction of them. But anyway, yeah. Mm. Good times. Well, one the next bit of news uh, on the tech front that I think we'll probably be at a little bit more in, in agreement with is probably a good thing is this yeah. uh, this sword group set from from Microshift. So it's a it's probably micro well yeah it is Microshift's first dedicated gravel group set, mm-hmm. um, and they are describing it as quote modern components with an analog soul. We believe the world still needs a really good cable actuated group unquote. Uh, it. It's offered in one by ten uh, or two by ten, so it's not even eleven or twelve. Um, you've got an eleven forty eight tooth cassette or an eleven thirty eight tooth cassette, uh, forty or forty tooth forty or forty two tooth chain ring in the one by, and then uh, two by setups are forty eight thirty one or forty six twenty nine. Um, you've got a optional dropper lever uh, for the left hand one if you're going to run it one by. Um, the lever shaping is seems basically like a copy of Shimano GRX. Uh, they 
I mean, pretty unashamedly Good one to copy. copy yeah. that one. Yeah. Um, Ratchet and Paul clutches on both of the rear derailers. It's all designed to be super easy to install and service. Uh, the rear derailleur cage is replaceable. It has the same uh, chain ring bolt circle diameter as GRX. Um, the, the weights actually aren't bad, surprisingly. It's about 500 grams per pair for the levers, uh, which is actually a little bit lighter than GRX, if my, if my math is correct. Um, 329 grams for the rear derailleur, definitely heavier than GRX. Uh, cranks are about 100 and 150 grams heavier than GRX 800. Uh, the cassette weights are pretty close to Shimano XT and Altegra, uh, depending on which one you go with. The prices, however, are absolutely fantastic. So we're looking at less than 200 bucks for a pair of two by levers, uh, 70 bucks for the nicer micro shift cassette with the alloy spider, uh, $115 US for a crank set, $80 for the rear derailleur. Uh, one big downside, it is mechanical brakes. Uh, it is compatible with mechanical brakes only. There's no hydraulic option. Uh, Microshift is also not supplying a bottom bracket or chain, so you're kind of on your own with those. Uh, and yeah, the styling is pretty derivative. But um, I'm pretty excited about this one, actually. I have a set that came in just a little bit ago, so I'm going to get that installed and, and get a test going. So excited we forgot to talk about it last week. We did. But, well, that's, uh, that's only because I forgot to put it on the run sheet. Uh, I, I've previously reviewed MicroShift's Advent X, which this kind of replaces on the drop bar side of things. Uh, but it's it's quite similar. Like the Advent X was 1 by 10 with an 11 to 48 tooth cassette with like a clutch-enabled um, rear derailleur. Uh, what's new is MicroShift now actually has a crank set, which is quite cool because that was previously you're left to your your own devices on that one but most importantly my biggest issue with micro uh, with advent x was the lever ergonomics i just did not get on with it i just found it an absolute pain in the hand it was kind of like old shimano like 7800 but worse like lumpier um <laughs> and and with like just kind of awkward lever placement and yeah just just simply just didn't vibe with it um and this looks to have solved that so if that's the only thing they change, and I know that's not the only thing they've changed, they've actually made some other good changes, but that alone would make this group set fantastic. Um, the big difficulty then is just finding a mechanical or converted hydraulic brake to run with these that's actually great. Yeah, I mean, there are the, the list of good brake caliper options, I think, is pretty short. Um, mm-hmm. There are a few. I've got the a ones set that are of, good are going to cost more than the entire group set. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I've got a set of Yokozunas that, that that I have set aside for this. That uh, I can't remember exactly how much they are, but they're not horrible. Um, something like like Paul Clampers would obviously cost a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the TRP Spires are okay and not terribly inexpensive, or not terribly expensive. Uh, and then the high roads are actually pretty good. Um, yeah. Also, not, it's, yeah. Still not as good as a full hydraulic brake, and I'm I'm willing no. to die on that on that mountain. But um, I don't think anyone's yeah. going to argue with no, argue with no, you. No, no. Some people will absolutely argue with that. But uh, and I've I've had those arguments. Uh, uh, the internet. But um, <laughs> and and the t- and the spires are, are noticeably less powerful again. Yes. Um, but yeah, you're right. As far as mechanical brakes go, I mean there there are some decent options. But for for someone who's looking specifically for something very analog, mechanical, capo actuated, mm-hmm. easy to service, easy to work, you know, install, easy to work on, yep. inexpensive, yep. easily replaceable parts, all that stuff. Assuming that you have a good source to get the stuff, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I, this looks pretty good to me. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm actually very very eager to install it and get it going. Yeah. No. As I said, like Advent and Advent X has been one of my go-to 
group sets for like people running, say like a bike with SRAM SX, uh, that weren't happy. I'd always recommend that they just swap it out for MicroShift because you could put the MicroShift Redirailer, Shifter, and Cassette on there for effectively the price of a new SRAM derailleur um, for a better SRAM derailleur. So. Yeah, and it was just like a you know easy direct fit. Use the same free hub body. You could reuse the same crank set. Uh, so this to me, like I'm I'm fully sold on this. I think there is a market for this, and I think anyone that's either looking to build up a really affordable bike or looking to change out a a, a lowish end group set that isn't working out, I think this just makes a ton of sense. Uh, what's also kind of interesting is that uh, SRAM and Shimano basically created this market for MicroShift by. Mm-hmm kind of walking away from this aspect of componentry i think yeah um i mean i'm looking up at to some extent anyway my head that has apex mechanical on it uh 12 speed but uh i I feel like the shimano and shram are potentially coming back with options into this market it it seems like they maybe realized what they had done and they have and they're like "Uh, actually wait a second we don't want to let that go completely yeah yeah, but uh, but yeah, suddenly I I mean you and I have said this when it comes to mechanical group sets, more gears is not necessarily better, and micro shifts uh, the way they've stuck with one by ten just ma- means it's going to be really robust and and not at all sensitive to or not as sensitive to say hanger alignment and cable wear and cable adjustment. You know, it's just yep. it's just going to yep. have that a little bit more leeway to to run smoothly. So I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm definitely. Definitely eager to see how this goes, and then I'm still still working to see if I can get one of those ERX uh, super inexpensive electronic group sets from uh, uh, L2. L2, yeah. So yep. uh, stay tuned on that. So still working on that one. Um, anyway, okay. next bit of tech news that we have. Um, this this is interesting because uh, I think a lot of people, particularly who are worried about theft of their bikes, or if you travel with your bike a fair bit, you're already. Pretty accustomed, I think, with uh, Apple AirTags, uh, the little like little tracker discs that you can kind of just stick inside your bike or attach to your bike somehow to see where it is. Um, Four Eyes actually now has a power meter that directly incorporates that Apple Find My feature into the power meter itself. Uh, so now you can link up your iPhone with your Four Eye power meter. And you don't have to have a separate AirTag anymore. So it's not actually currently enabled. Is this on... the fifth eye? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always confused. Is it four I or is it four I? I, I, I? Uh, you know, uh, my understanding is it's supposed to be pronounced four eyes. Okay, interesting. It, it, yeah. Any, anyway. <laughs> So the the press release was a little bit confusing to me. I had to go back and forth with the the PR agency to get some clarification on this. So uh, the clarification that I got was that current 4Eyes Precision 3 Plus non-drive side power meters in the field don't actually have this feature built in, but owners can send them in for a factory update. Uh, And then the uh, Precision 3 Plus non-drive power meters that are now being purchased that will have it included, and then the future Precision Plus power meters will have it built in as well. Um, that is confusing. Why didn't they use a new product no- name or model number? <sighs> you know, I I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I no one asked me these these things, Dave. I don't know. Okay, that sounds like so, a cool idea, though. It does seem like a cool idea. I mean, I, I, it makes me wonder what else is out there that could potentially have that capability enabled. Like, what I'm, I'm curious. 
I kind of wish we had Ray. I kind of wish we had Ray from DC Rainmaker on here because he would probably know Mm. the answer to this question. I wonder what sort of hardware is required to enable that sort of functionality. Um, Yeah, I don't really know, but I mean, there's what like one and a half billion people or something with iPhones out there. Um, So pretty neat. It is interesting. Like buy an AirTag for what thirty dollars or buy a whole new power meter (laughs) for. Well, no, it's just an upgrade. You have to. But how many people have four eyes? power meters seemingly not that many it's it's a feature right like it's they're, yeah. they're hoping this feature will sell them more power meters but uh right. I, my I question is is what, what will it do to the battery like is the battery right. are they still running a, a coin battery like a 2032 coin battery or is it i believe they or is are it rechargeable okay i believe yeah, they like, are what would it do to that because you if it's constantly just sending out a signal well mm. yeah i mean I'm sure it would decrease the battery life somewhat, but AirTag batteries last quite a long time. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so but they, uh, AirTag batteries also don't have to run a power meter. Well, no, no. But but <laughs> but I'm just wondering, since the Air, actual AirTags have such a low power draw, um, I mean, Four Eyes didn't give any, any information as far as what this would do to power draw. I mean, obviously, it, it would draw more power, especially since it would mm. essentially be on all the time. Um, but given how long the AirTags last, my guess is that it probably wouldn't have that big of an effect on the running time of the power meter itself. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But at least for me, I mean, if, 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 I, if I were one of those people who was worried about theft or travel and that sort of thing... Um, yeah, the likelihood of me sending in my power meter and, and paying, I, well, they actually didn't say if it was even an upcharge to do this, but the likelihood of me sending in my power meter to have that added on seems reasonably low, uh, especially if I'm going to have to be without my bike for a little bit. Mm. Um, but if I were in the market for a new power meter, then that is an interesting kind of value add feature that I mm. think is probably going to draw in a few people. Yeah, I agree. So, Yeah novel little thing uh mm. yeah four eyes also has a new uh a new app for apple watches called ride a very very creative name uh it's basically just a bluetooth connection to your power meter it's con- configured as part of the apple health kit um essentially it just lets you go and ride and collect all your data without a head unit uh so yeah again like a little convenience thing so uh i think it's safe to say that the people at four eyes do not use android phones mm. seems not who uses android the rest of the people who don't have an iPhone. It's poor life decisions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's get to this video that I referenced before. So um, there has definitely been this video being passed around in social media circles, and I've certainly had it texted to me like three or four times yesterday or something. Uh, it was posted by Andrew Bernard of UK-based Cycle Speed Tours. Uh, he runs uh, cycling tours in Mallorca. And uh, the video shows... Supposedly in real time, uh, a, a basically, well, supposedly brand new 25 mil wide Conti GP5000 STR that blows off the rim in spectacular fashion at about five bars or 72 and a half PSI pressure. Um, supposedly the maximum safe pressure for a hookless, uh, tubeless wheel set, wheel and tire setup for those sizes. Uh, still within the guidelines though. And the premise of the video is to alert people of the dangers of running hookless road setups. And well, yeah, I mean, it, Definitely looks from the video like that combo is pretty woefully unsafe. Uh, but there are so many questions around this whole thing. Uh, Zach, you and I were talking about this before we started recording. Yep. I kind of want to hear from you first what, you, what your thoughts are on this. I should, I'll preface all of it as I am very anti-hookless. I think it's just like, in general, not worth it, not worth any potential risk, and just like, it's kind of annoying with how it limits tire selection. 
But this hookless video, road, hookless road. Yes. Yeah. Mountain bike. Yeah. Completely different. Yeah. 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 Hookless road. Um, I my theory with this is that he damaged the bead putting the tire on. Most people when they are new to tubeless go to put the tire on are like, holy moly, this is incredibly tight. Why can't I get this? Where's on? my steel tire lever? Because there's like there's the center channel, and then there's the bead shelves, and the tire when you go to put it on wants to sit on the bead shelf, which increases the diameter of where you're putting it on, right? So it makes the tire way tighter. And a lot of people just go to town with the tire levers. They break tire levers and are like, why won't this thing go on? It's so tight. And if you force it, you can damage the bead, mm-hmm. which then weakens it. So when you pump it up, it explodes and blows off the rim. That's my theory. Uh, the other thing not mentioned here is what is the wheels? <laughs> yes, well, yeah, David. Extra light. I'm glad you brought that up. So <laughs> they're made by, I think it's an Italian company, yes. um, Extra Light Cyber Disc 339. Uh, it's mm-hmm. an absolute ultralight carbon fiber disc brake wheel set. It's got a 39 mil uh, rim depth. Uh, it supposedly weighs just 1,080 grams in the configuration in the video. Um, it's not, interestingly enough, the, the rim weight is not explicitly called that's, out. On that's the what Extra I would Light say, website. though. Like everyone on the comments is like, oh my goodness, it's the wheels. But like the rim weight, I don't think is any. Like, first of all, they probably don't make the rim. It's made some generic factory in Asia. But it's, like, not significantly lighter than an MV or a Zip or anything else. But the extra light hubs themselves are just... Crazy light. Mind-blowingly light. Like, I've built a number of wheels with them, and they're just, like... It's just absurd how light they are. So that's where a lot of the weight savings is coming. If you built these with, like, a DT240, they'd probably be a 1,200-plus gram wheel set, which is in line with most everything else. Right. So, but coming back to this wheel set, I mean... Some there are definitely some red flags with this setup. Um, if you pull up the the specs and kind of the manual that goes along with that wheel set, which the extra light does have posted online, there's in uh, granted there may be some translation issues here as well. But there are all sorts of conflicting information on that manual. Um, like you have two different sets of conflicting data for maximum pressure, for example. Um, they have a chart or they have like a list of approved tires, and that Conti GP five thousand STR is on there. Um, however, it also says at the beginning of the list that these are tires that they tested in a semi-hookless test setup, which th- doesn't make any sense because these are hookless rims. So were those tires tested on a hooked rim or a non-hooked rim? It's a little unclear. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, another issue that someone raised uh, when I was t- chatting with someone about this the other day um, because there's so many unknowns about this rim, like it's not really clear if it's ETRTO approved. So we don't really know about that. Um, Extra light is unusually emphatic about the thickness and type of rim tape that you should use on here, um, which I think is a good thing generally because that does affect the rim diameter quite a bit, but it's still a little bit unusual to see someone just be that emphatic about it. Um, but one thing that someone raised is it's unclear how stiff this rim is in terms of how well the the, the sidewalls can stay upright under pressure. Um, and especially if extra lights going for particularly light setup. I mean, Zach, as you mentioned, if you go by the numbers, if it is like a 339 gram rim, it's not like crazy, crazy light. It's pretty light. But I mean, yeah, it's light, but it's not like, holy cow, this rim is just going to fold in half. Right. But it's also a question of, you know, how light is too light. Um, like there's is, also is, the spoke tension, right? Like the yes. spoke tension helps to create the radial stiffness of a wheel. And with extra light hubs, there's only so much spoke tension you can add. This this wheel's probably running pretty low spoke tension. So I would say even for the rim weight, 
it's probably the there probably is more radial compression under inflation than other wheels using similar weight rims. Having just had someone inquire about building up a set of ridiculous weight reading wheels with extra light hubs, I was looking mm. at all the stuff and their spoke tension is not low. Oh, okay. Like you would imagine. Okay. Well, still. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would be the interesting I'm, thing, right? Like put a tire on this rim that's yeah. in this guy's video and like measure spoke tension before and after the tire is inflated. Mm. Like yep. does it dramatically drop or not? Yep. Well, one one big question I had when I was watching this video is um, there are not very many people out there who own extra light CyberDisc 339 wheels. Um, I dare say there are quite a few people who probably have Continental GP5000 STR tubeless tires that probably have them mounted on some type of hookless road wheel. And I'm not saying that this was like staged or anything like that, but it... <laughs> It seems a little bit unusual to me that we haven't been hearing more about GP5000 STR tire blowoffs. Because that company invests more in safety than most companies. They were one of the last to do a hookless compatible tire. They're so conservative. Yeah. I, I like I'm I'm not forgiving hookless. I think there are I, I agree with Zach, there are fundamental issues here and having a product such as a hookless rim on the market that has such strict compatibility issues that people and like a, and a, such a narrow narrow safety window right yes yeah, Super yeah. Small. and such a, like the 10 percent narrow like there are significant issues with hookless but i think this video is pointing the blame in the wrong place and i think conti probably don't necessarily deserve to be labeled as an unsafe product here i think the unsafe product here is arguably the wheels or maybe as zach said the way he's installed the tire and maybe he's damaged the tire um but I, I think, yeah, to, to scare people off hookless entirely, like I don't think like Giant and Envy and Zip, who have done like seriously legitimate testing on their wheels, I don't think it's it's fair to like point the finger and say like never run Conti on hookless because I would happily run a Conti tire on those bigger brand hookless wheels and I'd never think twice about it. My favorite part about this entire video, it's like so anti-hookless. This tire is deathly unsafe. Don't ride it is that the tire blows off and he puts the same tire back on the rim and goes and rides it again. Like, yeah. What are you thinking? If this yeah, is such yeah. an issue, like why did you ride it after it already blew off the rim? Well, and, and why would you run this whole thing? If you know that the tire is going to blow off and spray sealant everywhere, why would you do this in the, in your kitchen? I also had that thought. <laughs> like, I am yeah. not, if I were to do that in my kitchen, like, no, that'd be terrible. Good moment. So I guess the lesson here is if your tire does deflate itself, don't run it again. Like contact right. the manufacturer and figure it out. Ask for a replacement. And I'd um, I'd be curious yeah. too. Is like if it was only the front wheel that blew off. Let's say he damaged the bead on that one. Yeah. Pump the rear up. Does the same thing. Like if he didn't damage that one, does it blow mm. off or does it stay fine? That would yeah. be like kind of interesting to see. Right. Right. So anyway, I guess moral of the story. Uh, don't listen to YouTube experts. <laughs> well, I was going to say, <laughs> as much as we, as the three of us still do have what I feel like are very valid reservations about hookless and road tubeless in general, uh, this video, I think, is needlessly sensationalist, and there are an awful lot of questions that are unanswered here. Mm. Um, so, anyway. Um, I'd also say I'm generally not all that trusting of a thousand gram steel spoked carbon wheels no no 
I would, I would agree with you on that one. Like I'm, I'm riding some Partington wheels, which are 1150 grams at the moment. And those are incredibly expensive, like eye-wateringly expensive. And they've gone to so much effort. They've spent like five, six years in R&D creating this like carbon spoke that can hold the tension and create a wheel that light. So when you think about a wheel that has the same depth with steel spokes, that's 150 grams lighter than that. That's just scary. Right, right. So yeah, uh, like it, I, it seems like one of those situations where if something seems too good to be true, then it very well might be. Mm. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, with that said, moving on, uh, that, that wraps up the, the kind of news segment of the show. Um, I would like to find out what everyone's had on their minds for the past week or so that may or may not be over the heads of their families. Mm. Dave, what you got? I know you had one that was on deck for last week that we didn't actually use because uh, you were afraid that you were going to burst into a coffee yeah, yeah, yeah. fit. Um, I, I've got a few. I, I'd like to give a, while, while it's on my mind, uh, I'd like to give a shout out because um, we're about to hit publish on my next New Tools Day article. So please, everyone, check that out because that is very much on my mind. There's lots of new tools to check out. So that now is that a, you're well, you're buying a lot more of them again. <laughs> uh I wouldn't say a lot more. But <laughs> there have been one or two purchases. Yes, yes, I, I, I agree. Uh, needless, but yeah, anyway, check that out. That's a, a great gallery, if I can say so myself. Um, but what was on my mind this week is, uh, I, I don't know why, but I hadn't really triggered to the increased prices of tires as much as... Yeah, like I knew they'd gone up and I'd sort of been offended by tire prices over the last few months. But recently I was looking on an Australian, uh, one of Australia's larger online retailers and like all the new tires are between 120 and 150 Australian, regardless of like mountain bike or road. And that's that's a good 50% increase over what the prices I'm used to have been seeing, like kind of during COVID or pre-COVID. Uh, and I just didn't realize how expensive skids had gotten. <laughs> it 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 almost makes you wonder if some of these price in- increases are because they have to or just because they want to make more money. Because uh, didn't someone term the term it as like greedflation or something like that? Like I think mm-hmm. because I know there was a, I can't remember the the economist's name. Um, apparently, she had had kind of predicted that this was going to happen and and dealt with all this ire from within the econ community and like people talking like she was a sensationalist and like being all kind of crazy and whatever. And it turned out that everything that she predicted was totally true and that there are all these companies who are keeping prices high just because they can. Mm-hmm. Um, people are paying for it. Why not? And people are paying for it. So, but then you also have companies like, uh, I don't know, like American Classic who are selling tires at like 40, 45 bucks a pop. Yeah. And okay, fine. Their tires are not as good. I mean, I would but, think if you're just patient, it'll be the same as bikes and they'll have way overstock. And then it'll mm-hmm. be on close I think out. they already are, though. Like, like, we already hear reports from a whole bunch of companies that have just ridiculous amounts of stock for stuff. So, yeah, I don't, my guess is that you probably don't have to wait very long for prices to come back down or at least for stuff to be on crazy sale. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, it's just for me, like, I know it's temporary and I, I, I agree that the prices will have to come down. But yeah, just seeing a $150 mountain bike tire or, $120 road tire that's just waiting to, for a glass cut in your fast, on your first ride. It's just obscene. It's so... It's offensive. Know, like $200 chains are uh, offensive, <laughs> but you can at least use like a really good chain loop to offset any wear on that. But and that should, tire, $200 like, chain inevitably. is going to potentially fail on the first ride. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas a tire, like there's just... 
it's just such a unknown wearable item. Yeah, yeah, you know, like I never, I almost never get the full life out of a tire because I get glass cuts or whatever well before it's worn. Uh, so yeah, just to have that much that price tag on such a product is just bonkers. Anyway, that's on <laughs> that's my mind. Just, yeah, I'm, oh, uh, definitely have some thoughts on that, and I, I don't think I can really necessarily add much to what we just said. But yeah, the the prices are offensive. I will I will definitely give you that. Um, uh, so one thing I had on my mind. Uh, so this past week I published a review of that uh, kind of revision of Cane Creek's e-silk, e-silk suspension stem. They call it a compliance stem. Um, it's very similar to the the Redshift shock stop. Um, it's got a pivot. It's got a little elastomer in it. It's conceptually very, very similar to the Gervin Flex stem that was out decades ago. It's like quite similar. Um, it does work, Are you though. saying the, the bike industry recycles ideas, James? That doesn't... <sighs> no, no way. Doesn't uh, sound right. <laughs> <laughs> but, Anyway, it does work really well. Uh, it's not horrifically expensive. Uh, it's not terribly heavy. Uh, I actually think for for what it is, it actually looks pretty clean. Um, but uh, I'm certainly not saying that that sort of thing is necessary or even recommended for a whole bunch of people. Certainly a lot of people on the road bikes who think their bikes ride just fine. Um, but uh, the, the wording that Cane Creek used at describing it as a compliance stem, it kind of makes me wonder – you know, at what point do you have a crossover point between compliance and suspension? Like mm-hmm. compliance, I feel like has always just been like tuned flex of something. Marketing is if you have a carbon stem, then it's compliant. I've, you know, I've actually never heard marketing about a carbon stem that described it as more comfortable. Oh yeah, and really? particularly when it was like this. I guess this is like early carbon stems when it was like an aluminum stem that was wrapped in carbon. And they <laughs> oh put yeah, a marketing the, the rich, about how it's stuff. more compliant. Oh yeah, rich, your FSA. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, my, my favorite thing with those stems is um, Mad Black was at Fairwheel Bikes, um, mm-hmm. did a test on stems and actually found out like the the carbon wrap stems were flexier than just the straight up aluminium versions of the same stem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, uh, th- this is a little bit of a tangent, but this was uh, this must have been like fifteen years ago. Uh, I actually wrote an April Fool's article where I mm, took I an old this. Trek fourteen hundred bonded aluminum round tube road bike. And, um, it was, it was horrible. It was super corroded. Like it was, there was like paint was flaking everywhere. And I took a bunch of carbon print vinyl wrap that I got from somewhere. I can't remember. And I wrote this fake news article talking about how there was this company that had a a do it yourself carbon wrap kit. And it made your bike, uh, stiffer and ride better. And it made it lighter. Lighter. Yep. It made it lighter. (laughs) But I mean, the, the pictures I thought were pretty clear that this was like a joke. It was just like a very much and a someone wanted to buy it. Someone actually called up. They found out this shop where I, wor- I was working part-time at, called them up and actually inquired completely seriously if they carried this stuff, if they could buy it and ship it to Australia. Amazing. Perfect. Perfect. And the answer was no. <laughs> wow. Anyway. Um, anyway, back to, back to what I was talking about. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think road bike companies have gotten really good about engineering a lot of compliance into their frames and forks and just building comfort with like longer flexier seat posts, that sort of thing. That sort of thing. Um, but at what point do you get to a stage where that compliance isn't enough? Like, at what point do the tires not do enough? At what point do you feel like you actually need some sort of like actual proper suspension element? I feel like most gravel bikes suffer from this because... Uh, 
the best gravel bikes are actually fairly compliant from a seated point of view where there's there's compliance through the seat post but the front ends are really stiff because there's not a lot of not a lot you can do to create flexor you need the fork blades to be pretty stiff so you have steering and the head tubes are pretty short which doesn't allow any length of steerer to flex and then you have these short stiff handlebars and and stems so I feel like currently most gravel bikes in the market are overly relying on tire pressure and uh, suspension in the tire to do any comfort. And then your only other hope after that is like bar tape. So for me, a suspension stem or a compliance stem uh, makes a lot of sense to to fix the comfort issues on most gravel bikes. Um, but yeah, it's it's I don't know. The, the question is, is at what point does that stem actually act more like suspension than it does of a compliance nature i mean i guess i would say the difference in my mind is like compliance is going to be for a comfort thing suspension is more for better traction and tracking over rough things and control like that's where i would draw the line Mm. i mean i i guess with these stems though to me i think you to me i feel like you get both because I'm around here, so we're in boulder colorado a lot of the gravel roads dirt roads around here they're actually in really good shape they're Uh, all road bikeable very much so um but you do also run into sections where like if they haven't been graded in a while you do run into sections that are pretty bad in terms of washboard um and when you hit one of those sections like your bike is just trying to like rattle your teeth loose like it's horrible um but i will say with when i run one of those stems um like you can kind of you can actually kind of mostly just sort of sail through um and it actually works quite well um there was one ride that i did with my wife when i was testing that stem and I very vividly remember that we hit one of these sections and my wife's a good rider and she can definitely ride that stuff totally fine. Um, but she had to slow down quite a bit just because she couldn't maintain speed on that. She's just getting rattled so like uh, crazy. It's like cobbles. You just got to go faster and then it gets smoother. Well, but the point, <laughs> my, the point being is I didn't have to go faster to be able to do that. I basically just kept a, kept kind of a light grip on the bar and let the stem do its thing. And then like that was, that was good to go. Yeah. So... I don't know. I just, anyway, my, my point is just, I know that these things get, a, they get made fun of a lot. Um, and <laughs> partially because it's, again, like, like you were saying, Dave, kind of like the recycling of an old idea. Um, but they do work quite well. Um, yeah. and I don't know, it just seems like the sort of thing where I dare say, certainly on the gravel side of things, you know, I think it probably could be a benefit for a lot of people. Yeah. I think it solves a very common problem. Um, I mean, I, I don't run one cause I still can't quite get used to the feeling of them on the road, but um, but I think that's probably just a matter of me not sticking with them for long enough, and that you do eventually get used to them. Um, but yeah, I, I I understand why you like them, and I think quite a few people could benefit from them. So, and they're you know relatively inexpensive. If you don't like it, you take it off, and you're only out a couple hundred bucks. So not the, not not like you're buying a new bike or anything. So anyway, uh, Zach, anything on your mind this week? Not really that exciting. Just kind of been getting some stuff ready for Leadville. Oh, Leadville. So lots of like... Oh, that's right. Lead boats, lead boats coming up. Well, it's different weekends now. Oh, okay. So, but like gearing and tire choice and inserts are not, or dropper or not, all of the things. So... What's the, what's the hot setup for, for Leadville this year for people? Ooh, fast tires, for sure. Uh, but higher volume, I would say. Or an insert, because there are sneaky rocks that people flat and smash their wheels on. Um, not because it's overly technical, but because you're riding in a group of people and you're bombing down a descent at 30 miles an hour and you can't see what you're riding through because you're in a group of 20 people or whatever. Um, 
seems like the trend is maybe not dropper to save a little bit of weight. But I also think dropper is good because you can rip the downhill and kind of relax on the downhill a little bit more, which there is a fair bit of downhill. Um, yeah. And then gearing is just depending on how strong you are. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, I guess we'll see how things go at Leadville. We'll see if that is the hot setup. Um, all right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up the show with uh, just a quick PSA. Um, if uh, I'm going to go ahead and grab this one again, if, if no one minds. Uh, and that would be just to, just a little reminder for people, if you're running tubeless to wait, have we done this one before? Have, have we asked people to check their sealant? I think we have done that one, haven't probably. we? But if you can't remember when you last put sealant in, it's probably time. <laughs> I mean, what I've always done to check your sealant is just to take the wheel and kind of like hold it in your hand and kind of slosh it around and see if you can hear sealant sloshing around, then you're probably good and you're probably okay for now. Um, if you can't, then it's probably time for a refresh. Mm-hmm. Something to keep in mind because then at that point, if you don't have any liquid sealant in your road, in your, well, in your tubeless tire setup at all, then you're losing one of the benefits of tubeless, which is the ability to kind of self-seal those little punctures. So, uh, yeah, as Zach mentioned, if you can't remember the last time you put some in there, and if you can't hear this stuff sloshing around, it's probably time for an update. Yep. Uh, just don't overdo it because I've had I've, <laughs> I've once had a, a tire with orange seal in it, which I don't think had any air in it. It was just purely <laughs> orange seal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is a that's a very expensive made a wheel. Big mess in my garage. So <laughs> better um, better than making a big mess in your kitchen. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of Geek Warning. Then, but before we wrap up, I've just got one more PSA, and that's a request for everyone listening to please sign up for an Escape Collective membership. So we may or may not have noticed we don't run any ads on this show, and that is by choice. Uh, and that means that everything that we do here at Escape Collective is directly funded by you, our subscribers and members. Uh, so if you are a full Escape Collective member, you get. Full access to everything on the site, comments included. Uh, you also get a ticket to our members-only Discord channel, live audience podcasts, and stuff like that. Uh, if you just want access to all the great content, however, you can just get yourself a subscription instead of a membership. Uh, we have monthly and annual options starting at just 7 bucks US a month, so hopefully you can make some room in your budget for us. Uh, thanks for the support. If you are already a member, and please tell your buddies about us so that they can consider joining too. If you're not a member but are a regular listener to Geek Warning, this is me giving you a guilt trip. So do us a favor and chip in a few bucks so we can keep filling your ears with all this wonderful geekiness week after week. Uh, head over to escapecollective.com slash join to sign up. So with that out of the way, thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers.